Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel Christ. Now go down to chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Lord, that is our that is our hope. Your word says we were saved into this hope. And our hope is that, that, that glorious day, one day, that in your presence, Lord, every knee is bowing, heaven, earth, under earth, that every tongue confesses of God the Father. I pray, Father, that today, this morning, that very work would be happening in our hearts. Exalted. Being glorified, extolled, praised. Fiber of our being. That's our prayer, Lord, by the Holy Spirit. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. So again, we once again, our final week, beginning the message with verse 27, chapter 1 of Philippians, says only let your conduct be worthy gospel of Christ. Meaning above all else. Meaning no matter what you do. That what you do be worthy gospel of Christ. And what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I hope you never tire of hearing it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ on the cross, covered with blood, gasping for breath, no clothes, 
crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, and then dying. And doing all that so you don't have to. The Bible's saying that you, because of your sin against the holy God, you deserved all that happening to you, but God so loved you, the Bible says, so wide and long and high and deep is his, God, is his love for you, he sent his son Jesus Christ to, to do that, suffer that in your place. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 27 says, let your conduct, let what you do be worthy of that. Because once you know that the Son of God went through that horrifying punishment for you, once you really get that, you're going to behave in a certain way. You're going to act, make decisions in a certain way. And it's described in the next 16 verses. That's where we have been in those verses, about the first half, or first um, 12, or about the, yeah, about the first half of the verses. And that's where we've been in the last month. A description of your behavior, if you really get it, if you really get that the Lord has done that for you. So let's go now, again, we were in last week in verse 4, it says, let each of you, again, this is describing who you're like, get it. That blood on that, on that son of God on the cross, it's, just, it's not like a painting in a museum somewhere. It actually means something to you. you. You identify with it. You realize it's your sin that caused that blood. This is the man, this is the woman will be when you get it. Verse 4 says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Verse five, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, meaning he was in heaven, in the, it says in the very bosom of God the Father was God the, uh, the Son. It says he, he didn't consider it robbery or something to be grasped onto to be equal with God. He was equal with God. Jesus is God. He was with God, verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation. Not here last week, good to listen to that message, which is online. Actually, he made himself not only of no reputation, but of a bad reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of men, came as a servant. So that we pick up today in verse 8, where it says, and being found in appearance as a man, 
He humbled himself. So again, this is, this is what you do when you get it. Behave like Jesus behaved. You don't behave like this. If this is not the conduct that characterizes your life, surely it can only mean one thing. You don't get it. Someone who walks in disobedience, they don't get it. You don't get it if, you're, if you walk out of this room and you just uh, treat the Bible as an interesting book that um, there's an option to disobey. You don't get it. You don't get what the gospel is. That that blood has to do with your sin. It paid for it. If you're a person with selfish ambition, regularly putting your interests above the interests of others, verse four. If you are a person that, who never looks at others as better than you, again, verse, that's verse three. If you are a person who lives for your reputation and refuses to do what Jesus did, becoming of no reputation or worse, getting a bad reputation like Jesus, if you are always holding on to your reputation, oh, God forbid that I should ever name the name of Jesus and, and, and be ashamed when everyone looks at me with four heads. What, this is a Jesus freak or something? If that's you... You don't get it. <laughs> because if you get it, these verses say, if you get the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the Lamb of God was slaughtered for you, these are the things that would characterize your life. It says he became of no reputation there in verse 7. And in verse 8, he humbled himself. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself. So how did Jesus humble himself? Well, you might think that when uh, Jesus left the glory of heaven, it's countless hundreds of thousands of angels worshiping him, one might think that if you leave heaven, you become a man, you'll make sure you're a real, really, really special man, like a king or a, or a governor, at least a mayor of a real important city like Jerusalem. Now what happened? Jesus was born in a feeding trough for cattle. Now, for whatever reason, our translators translated a manger this was a feeding trough. Cows for cattle. This is what he was born into. His parents were poor. We mentioned in the dedication when Jesus' parents dedicated Jesus, they came with two pigeons. The burn, they were required to bring a burnt sacrifice, but most people brought a lamb because they could afford it. They couldn't afford it. They brought a pigeon. Jesus was not a nobleman. He didn't have vast fields and people working for him, bringing in the harvest. He was a carpenter. He came from a city that was despised, Nazareth. Not a place anyone wanted to be, uh, come from. 
that I think one of the greatest examples of Jesus humbling himself, remember we're talking here about the mind that you are told to have, it's the mind of Jesus Christ, verse 8 says that he humbled himself, after he became a man, he actually humbled himself, he didn't become what would, what would be called a great man, he became a low man, he humbled himself. In John chapter six, I think one of the best examples of humbling himself, he fed 5,000 men, that's not, a, not including men and uh, women and children, with five loaves and two fish. The multitude said, whoa, we gotta make this guy king. They were shocked and amazed, and they tried to forcibly make him a king. And this was Jesus' response. It says, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. He humbled himself. This is what you do when you start getting too much attention. You pray for me, it's hard. Sometimes I, I get attention up here. It's hard not to step into the spotlight. Jesus steps out of it. Because if you get the gospel, if I get the gospel, I'm not going to be making a big deal about me every Sunday. As much as I've done that throughout the years. I step out of the spotlight. He says he went to a solitary place. That's what Jesus did. He humbled himself, and so will you. If you get it, that there's a connection between your sin and that bloody scene on the cross, you will humble yourself. Let me tell you, you have opportunities to humble yourself every day. You, you do. At your work, when you accomplish something and someone else is taking credit for it, do what no one else does. Humble yourself and keep your mouth shut. Someone's trying to take credit for what you did. Humble yourself. Just shut up. Say nothing. And do so happily knowing that there's someone who knows. That's God. And he will raise you up in due time. We'll read about that. So let's go back again to verse 8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And it says, and he, he became obedient. He became obedient. I like John chapter 5, verse 19. It's a, it's, it's a, you know, Jesus was obedient. He learned, suffer, uh, he learned obedience through suffering. It, um, it says he suffered and he obeyed in his suffering. It says that Jesus answered and said to them, John 5, 19, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. So you, if you, we're told here, if you get it, that man slaughtered on the cross in the pitch dark, lying naked for you, shouting out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you really get that was all about him paying for your sin, you will obey, the Bible says. 
Remember, this whole section, it's kind of two things going on. It's describing the glory of Jesus, but it's also describing what your behavior should be like. Philippians 1.27 says, let your conduct be as one who understands what was done for you on the cross. So if you get it, obedience to Jesus Christ will characterize your life. You will not be running from every trial that comes your way. Did you hear that? You will not be running from every trial that comes your way. Jesus didn't run from trials. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, listen, God, if there's any other way, by the way, it says he was on his face praying this, with Sweat filled with blood dropping from his body. He was so filled with anguish. If there's any other way, please let me do it that way. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That, if you get it, you're not going to be running away from uh, every trial you have. And I, I got to tell you, uh, the, the, the example I, I love to use is, is, is work, jobs, because that's what the Lord brings, to, brings in your life to, to bring you trials. You're not a Christian who runs from job to job to job to job if you get the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, they just don't appreciate my work. And you just run to the next job. They're not going to appreciate it either. <laughs> or the next one. Now, the, from time to time, there, 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 is a, there is a workplace that is a, 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 a wonderful environment, but they are rare. And God brings us to these places, these trials, for us to learn obedience like Jesus Christ. It says, he, in verse 8, it says, he was obedient to death. So that mind of Christ, it says it was obedient to death. That mind, that courage, that resolve saved you from eternity in hell. The mind of Christ, it says that he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. When you get that, every chapel, you'll be obedient as well. Obedience will characterize your life. You're not obedient. You don't find yourself, your life characterized by obedience. You don't get it. You don't get the cross. Pray that you do. You're in the right place if you don't. Because this is where we learn about the cross, right? What we do. We're in the right place. Let's continue. Verse 9 says this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. And it says, therefore, God highly exalted him. This was a fulfillment from the language. The prophet Isaiah was writing 
750 years before Jesus, this is what it says. Do we have that, Heather? It says, he, Messiah, shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. That this language, uh, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, lifting it up from Isaiah 52, verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him. In Isaiah um, 52, it was looking forward, but now we're looking backward. God, because of, he was obedient to death, God highly exalted him, and it says, and, and has given him the name which is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, speaking of the dead, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, he's pulling this as well from the prophet Isaiah. So the reason I ask everyone to have a Bible, we are going to travel in the Bible now. Please go to about the middle and a little to the right to the book of Isaiah. I'm, I'm going to... I want you to read with me where it is that he lifted this language and he puts it right into Philippians because it's been fulfilled. So he puts it in Philippians. I'm sorry, it's Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. I love this. Isaiah 45, about the middle of your Bible, then go a little to the right. So go to the Psalms and then just go a little to the right. You'll see Isaiah and then go to Isaiah 45. We're going to go to verse 22. And we are going to read where Paul got the language from. Verse 22 says this. This is God speaking. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Verse 23, I have sworn by myself, this is God speaking, you're God and you don't have anything to swear to other than yourself, that's what you do. I have sworn by myself, the, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. Now, that's important, those last two lines there. All shall be ashamed who are incensed against them, meaning who are angry against God. Those are who are incensed against him, who are angry with God, don't want to have anything to do with God, or upset that God even exists because they can't be God. And, and it says, even them, at some point in the future, it says at the end of verse 23, every knee, every one of those knees is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. So back in Philippians 2, please. You can go there again. It 
says again in verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those under of those in heaven and those on earth and those of under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, glory of God the Father. Yesterday I went with my daughter Grace and my granddaughter Evangeline to Boston Symphony Hall to see Handel's Messiah. The performance is about two hours and 15 minutes. There's a very large choir. For two hours and 15 minutes, all they do is sing scripture. The whole time, they're singing scripture. The whole thing. Jesus as the shepherd, Jesus as the savior, Jesus as the judge. Towards the end of Handel's Messiah, by the way, Symphony Hall was absolutely packed. You have the hall, then you have two levels of balconies. Towards the end of Handel's Messiah, the chorus sings what is by far the most well-known song of the concert, the Hallelujah Chorus. You know it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And it's composed of verses lifted right out of Revelation 19. Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so this is the climax of this, this concert, this symphony concert. Book of Revelation says this, verse 6, it says this is, this is a vision that John is, uh, that the Lord has given him a future time. He says, and I heard the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And then in verse 16 it says, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can we put that back up, Heather? So you have this choir, a gigantic choir, singing at the top of their lungs, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, it was incredible, to me at least, that this was happening on the night before I came here and taught on Philippians 2, and this is why. This particular song, you can leave it up here, uh, up there, Heather. This particular song, on this particular song and this song alone, Everyone has a decision whether or not they stand. The rest of the whole concert, everyone is sing, uh, sitting. And 
I've seen it in Boston, oh, probably eight or nine times. The first time, two, a couple times I saw it, um, maybe 30 or 40% of the people stood during this song. There's a little thing there, and it's sort of classic language for our day. Listen, people, there's a tradition of standing, but please, 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 we don't want to offend you. You don't have to stand. But I got to tell you, the last two years, including last night, ev almost every single person, we're talking over 99% of the people in the place were standing. And there's a couple there was a couple up in the balcony, a few people up in the balcony, but they, they looked to me like they were elderly. They weren't, but everyone was standing. And, 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 and I want to share this with you. It was a picture of Philippians 2 because people who were standing, there were a few, there were clearly, they had joy. Most of them, and there was a respect. Boston Symphony Hall, talking about the bastion of wealth and privilege in all of Boston, possibly the world. I mean, this is like the wealthiest people. We're talking about these people, and they're, they're all standing, and actually the soloists, who the whole spotlight is on them, the entire concert, they're standing, they're not singing. Their mouths are shut. They're standing, the chorus is behind them, and they're standing too, and this whole place is standing, and, and these people are just listening, and most of them, they don't look happy, but, the, the, but there's a respect there, there's a fear. Why? Because this is what's being sung. The, for the Lord God, omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, he reigns, king of kings, lord of lords. And you're talking, these people standing, when they walked in, before, before walking in, they didn't care about Jesus Christ. They could have cared less about him. But when they're in this room, and I'm convinced the spirit of God comes into this room, this concert written in 1742 in the middle of two massive revivals, one taking place in the United Kingdom, the other taking place right here where we are now uh, and, and the whole eastern uh, seaboard. Uh, it was, it was, and, and ever since then, uh, concert halls have been um, filling up and, and, and the fear of God descending on them, it's nothing but a gift. It is a gift, God keeping the word of God because of his mercy in front of people. And these people who didn't care about God when they were outside, all of a sudden they're standing up and there's a fear and there's a respect because they know. Romans chapter one says they know it. They know it. The Lord God is all powerful and he reigns on this earth and he's the Lord of lords and he is the king of kings. And, I was, and as I was standing there, just looking at this scene with all these people who, most of whom, but for the, that's exactly where I was, by the way, but for the grace of God. I'm not saying I'm any better than them. I'm worse than them. Than them. But as all these people with all their wealth and, and, and their riches, they're standing up, uh, just tears come, came to my eyes because I know there will be a day, Philippians 2 says it, in human history where men will no longer be shaking their fists at God. They will no longer be cursing at God. They will no longer be shrugging their shoulders and they will no longer be ignoring God because they will not be able to. 
in the presence of Jesus Christ upon his return when he comes with power. They won't be casting um, his word behind their back. Um, They won't be mocking God. No, they will be saying, Jesus Christ, and confessing that he is the Lord of lords and he is the King of kings. Is at the name of Jesus, verse 10. Every knee will bow. Verse 11 says, Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I tell you, there's plenty in Scripture enough to make us tremble. presence of God. Jesus says in John chapter 17, he says this, right before he was crucified, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Then it says this, as you have given him authority over all flesh. Matthew 28, 18, you're familiar with this verse. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, heaven and on earth. Ephesians chapter one, verse 22, it says, God the Father put all things under his feet. John chapter five says this, Father has committed all judgment, son. Acts chapter 10, verse 36 puts it this. Jesus Christ, Lord of all. What does that mean, Jesus Christ is Lord of all? It means he has authority, meaning he owns every man, woman, and child on this planet, regardless of what they think of Jesus or whether they even know who he is. Jesus is Lord of all. It means that Jesus has ultimate say whatever you do. He has ultimate say of whether you live or die. He has ultimate say of whether you go to heaven or hell. He decides whether you you have food on the table, a roof over your head, whether you have clothes to warm you. He decides what job you have or whether you have a job. Jesus decides whether you get married or whether you have children. Jesus decides whether the sun comes up in the morning, sets in the evening, decides the right amount of rain, sun, and temperature for crops to grow or for them not to grow, for whether humans live or they don't live. Jesus is Lord of all. He is Lord, meaning he has authority. He owns every city, every government, every nation, every corporation, everything. A king or president or prime minister or president of a corporation or military commander, they may think 
they are in control. They absolutely are not. Jesus is in control. God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name. Questions for you this morning. Christ to you. Now really. Pray to him to heal you when you're sick. So he is to you a God who heals you, but do you believe he's Lord? Are you willing to submit to him in every single area of your life? Are you willing to accept him as Lord? Because God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. You pray to him to give you a promotion at work, so you believe that he's a gracious God. But do you believe that he's Lord? Are you willing to obey him in every area of your life because he is Lord? You believe, uh, it, rather, you pray to him to help you with depression, your depression, your discouragement, your anxiety, because you believe he is a God of mercy. But do you believe that he's Lord? Are you willing to tell him, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Whatever you tell me to say, I'll say it. Wherever you tell me to go, I will go. You're Lord. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Is he your Lord today? Or are you going to wait until his return when you no longer have that choice and you're calling him Lord and King because you have no other choice to? When Jesus returns and the time of judgment has come, eyes of all mankind, dead and alive, will be open. No longer will men be shaking their fists at God. No longer will they be cursing his name, shrugging their shoulders, ignoring him, casting his word behind their back, mocking him. But everyone will be confessing, Christ is Lord, God the Father. Ask the worship team to come up at this time. I'm also, if you have been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. been asked to pray, you can please come up. If you could stand now, we're going to sing a closing worship song. And uh, what I'm going to do this, this morning, as we sing, as we worship, you know God, God who heals you, he's the God who's gracious, he's 
You know him as one who you go to. Prosper you. But you have never made him the Lord of your life. I didn't do that until my early 20. Never made him the Lord of your life. You've never said, I will go wherever you tell me to go. I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will say whatever you want. You've never done that. The Bible does require that. Every human being. But gives humans a choice whether or not to. Never done that. Would you just come up? You can do that. It's a simple prayer of faith. The Bible does say this. It says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord. Controls everything. You're giving him control. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved into a glorious, eternal, abundant relationship with him that starts the moment that you confess that. Doesn't it's not wait till you die someday. Now. Whereas we sang this morning, there's a guarantee of joy in his presence, and we get it if we want it. Take it if we want it. While to learn how to do that. never made Jesus your Lord just want you to, to come up now the Bible says just, just as it says about Jesus he humbled himself in order and, and then he was exalted same thing same principle with us when we humble ourselves exalts us good work in us Jesus is up Father, I pray now for the worship time. I pray in Jesus' name that you do a good work as we close out in worship today. Amen.